0: Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors
1: and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
2: Hi everybody, welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode 327, dated Friday, September 29, 2023. With us, as always, from Coos Bay, Oregon, Peter Altschul. Peter, what's going on today?
1: Bob, I need to make you an official Oregonian. It's Oregon. (laughs) Uh, It's not Oregon. Oregon. It's Oregon. Oregon. Okay, I'll have to work on that. you have to work on that because I've had to work on it for like the past three years. Anyway, uh, here it's sort of misty and dreary, but not the seven inches of rain that apparently you guys are getting on the East Coast.
2: Oh, it's terrible. I think this is still the same storm that was here last weekend. Ophelia doesn't want to leave.
1: It it, it should it should go back to Shakespeare's time. Anyway. I
2: guess so. Anyway, I would like to thank those people for making it possible for in perspective to be made available to the general public. We start out with Raymond Gay, our editor and producer. Thank you for what you do. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's place chat line. Thank you for posting our programs up on bulletin board. Number 15. Our media sources, thank you very much for airing us when you do. We really appreciate that. And finally, Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions, who archives our In Perspective podcasts on my website. All you have to do to find them is go to www.brancoevents.com, arrow down until you get to In Perspective podcasts, click on them, and then you will see most of our archives from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. And also, many thanks to Herbie, who took the time to be our host for today's program. Thank you for that as well. We have back again on our show one of our regulars, one of our staples, as they call him, Congressman John Laboutelier. How are you, John, Congressman? How's it going? Thank you for
3: being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love the show. I always look forward to it. I have it in my calendar and I look forward to it as the weeks um countdown till the next time I'm on and I just love it and it's a great way to end the week and begin the weekend.
2: And even though also, I'm floating away. <laughs> and it's also a great way to end the federal fiscal year, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. Hoping of course that government will not be shut down at all as of Monday or as of Sunday.
1: So what is what well that? as
3: as we're doing this on Friday afternoon and it is tomorrow night, Saturday night at midnight, is the time when it's going to shut down. It sounds to me almost a hundred percent guaranteed that it is going to shut down. That there's no movement that I hear about. But who knows? I mean, maybe there's something going on privately wrapped up in it. I guess is the fate of Speaker. Kevin McCarthy, because in the only way he can get a majority vote in the House to keep the government open is to work with the Democrats. Several of them will happily vote for this. A lot of them will vote for it. But the hard right Republicans have told McCarthy, if you work with the Democrats, we're going to throw you out.
2: Now, so, how, how do we progress to this point so often of a government shutdown? What leads us to this?
3: Well, they're all the same. They're all, and I hate to say this as a lifelong Republican. All these uh, government shutdowns are forced by the right of the Republican Party. And there is no point to it because you know the government's going to reopen. You know that everybody that isn't getting paid during the shutdown will get their back pay caught up for them. So what's the point of it? You know, I mean, it's just, it's a stupid. And, That's what's happened to the right in in American politics. It's become stupid. It's not smart. It's not ahead of the game. It's just plain emotional, not filled with brain power. And so they're all lashing out. They want to cut this and that. They don't seem to realize, yeah, the Republicans do control narrowly the House, but they do. But the Democrats have the Senate, so that means you got to compromise right away with them. And then the White House is obviously controlled by a Democrat. And these twenty five Republicans in the Freedom Caucus caucus, twenty-three, whatever it is, they seem oblivious to the reality of how the government works. And they'd rather just say, Oh, I just want to shut it down. Blow it up. We don't need it, you know. And then it'll be reopened and we'll be back to somewhat normal in a month or three weeks or whatever
1: it seems to me congressman i mean you're right this has been going on since i don't know when the 80s maybe the 90s whenever 90s 90s. with with newt gingrich and so on and so forth it seems to me somehow worse Uh, my my sense is that the 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 27 or 25 or whatever it was they know how the system works they're doing this deliberately you know uh, they they want to uh they want to get media coverage in their district and come across as these hardcore you know tough guy or tough woman, whatever people who are standing up for a cause I, it, it seems to me somehow worst uh am i am i imagining things or it, it's the oh same no way. i think you're right That's but yeah think, right
3: thinking back you know this thing is now the, the newt gingrich thing was a little different he did shut it down for whatever reason and then Clinton got, a funny thing, we get going on an impeachment of Clinton for lying about sex and a mistress and blah, blah. And before you know it, they throw Newt Gingrich out because he had a mistress and he's a hypocrite. OK, so he's gone. They lose the House to the Democrats eventually. But, but we have two more Republican speakers who go through the same thing McCarthy's going through right now. We have Boehner and Ryan, both of whom were good Republicans. For their whole careers both of them but the right didn't like him and the right took him on and bedeviled both of them and uh ruined Boehner and then basically they didn't totally ruin Ryan but he gave it up he couldn't stand it anymore and here McCarthy's not giving up but McCarthy is being ruined the same way it's that the right punishes a democratic excuse me The right punishes a Republican speaker for making a deal with the Democratic president. So when Boehner made a deal with Obama, that was the end of Boehner. It got so bad, the right, which was then the Tea Party, they were called. Same group, same people. Now they're the Freedom Caucus. Now they're MAGA. But they're all the same. And they told Boehner, you cannot have a meeting or a phone call without President Obama, without one of us being in the meeting or on the call with you. that That's how crazy that got. Now, that hadn't happened here, but we had a meeting and a series of negotiations in April, May, and June, I think, with McCarthy and President Biden at the White House, and they made a deal. And they made a deal on the top-line number of what the government would spend this fiscal year that's beginning to, day after tomorrow They made a deal And these 25 Republican congressmen Are sabotaging the deal Saying no, we can't spend that money We're not going along with it yeah. And so it's crapping out This weekend over breaking a deal
1: The, the thing is, Congressman because I know you've talked about this uh, uh, regularly Even back in the 80s um, On the Bob Grant show We have to show some re- Financial Restraint, right? We have this massive budget deficit, and it seems to be getting worse. We need to do something about it. It just seems to me that these twenty-seven hardcore people are just making the whole system worse because keep keep in mind they're they're not negotiating.
3: But but the twenty-seven hardcore people couldn't have cared less about government spending three years ago when they were still in Congress and Trump was president. Bang, they spent money like nuts. And the ones that were there 20 years ago, when George W. Bush was president, and he had a Republican Congress for his first six years, right. they spent money like crazy. So the yeah. bottom line is they're total frauds and hypocrites. They'll spend when they're in power and rail against spending when they're not in
1: power. And so how do you take them seriously? Right. Yeah. I don't take yeah. them seriously. I, I, but, but it is a real issue. Uh, And I don't know how how you address it because we we are sort of wired to keep our citizens happy and we should. You know, there there are really important things. I just worry about the deficit. You know, it's got to come down at some point.
3: Well, you're talking about a national debt. The
1: actual actual debt, the deficit
3: has come down. It has, yeah. The last couple of years uh, annually. But you're right. The accumulated national debt, which is around $33 trillion. When yours truly was in Congress, we—I believe—was the first trillion, and that was 40 years ago. So, in the 40 years, a lot of whom have been Republican presidents and Republican Congresses, and of course, and Democrats too, mm-hmm. has gone up by 32 trillion. It's incredible. Yeah. But also, the country and the economy is way bigger. You know, So, yeah, $33 trillion is humongous. We're never going to balance that out. But uh, the interest payment on that thing is the second or third largest item every year, I believe, in the federal government. And that's what is hurting us. We're spending a lot of money on debt service. We need to, you know, I think we need to reverse the trend. That's what I would like to see. Is slowly start pay, paying down the national debt, but you can't do that till you run a surplus. We haven't run a surplus on the federal level since 97 or 98. Clinton. Clinton. Yeah. Clinton was president. The Republicans had the house. John Kasich was, uh, uh, chairman of the budget committee. Now, I don't know how much any of that had to do with the people in the government. I think it was the economy was so good that it's spinning out huge tax revenue to the federal government. And that's what reduces deficits is the private economy contributing so much tax revenue that government is then doing well. That's really the only way out of these messes is we got to have the government get more tax money because we're making so much money.
2: Part of the problem, I think, Congressman, is all the money that – I'm not saying that all the states, because I'm not sure how many states are sanctuary states. You have wide open borders and you have migrants coming in by endless amounts of numbers. I can't even count. I know here in Massachusetts, Governor Maura Healey is asking for 250-some-odd uh, – I can't think of the figure – a month. To house people who need shelter based on Massachusetts laws. Yep.
3: yeah. Same thing here. New York City is just going crazy over all these migrants that are being shipped up here from the border by the federal government, by the way. These people are being relocated around the country to spread the burden of all these people coming in here. I believe last month, September or August, I'm not sure when they say last, I guess last month would be August still. Three hundred thousand people illegally cross the well cross the border. They're not determined if they're illegal till they have their asylum hearing. But most of them uh, do
2: not get asylum. What do you think we ought to do about this crisis?
3: Well, if I if I was a benign dictator and I could do anything I wanted, I would go to the president of Mexico and I'd say, "Look, I'll pay you." whatever the hell we got to pay for you to block these people from transversing your country and getting to our Southern border. Either you want me to, we'll pay you some money to keep them in Mexico or you want to close your Southern border to these people coming from Central America. You do that, but we have to stop them from coming here this way. But it's, could, not could, it's not. It's oh, not. Yeah. Yeah. No, but they don't get here unless they come through Mexico. The border is with Mexico. So if you could magically stop them from arriving at the Mexican-American border, boom, well, there's no problem. They're, by the way, most of them are not Mexicans. Right. They're Central Americans who are coming up here through Mexico. That's why I say I would try to work with the Mexican government. And if we have to pay Mexico, pay them to stop these people from ever getting to our border. I, I, but that's I, if I, that's if i'm a benign dictator which i'm not and we don't have that
1: <laughs> uh, the the opposite uh, to play devil's advocate for a second the, the the opposite side is many of these folks are are, are leaving uh, terrible conditions i i understand that there are folks coming here with drugs and so on and so forth but most of those are coming here by trucks and you know they don't have to cross the border they can they can go through with trucks or airplanes or whatever but but it seems to me that a lot of these folks really are in desperate circumstances. That's the first issue. The second issue is we need workers. You know, uh, we we it's my understanding is that um, employers are having trouble hiring people, especially in the, in the construction arena. Now, part of that is because uh, we have people who don't want to do those jobs, but part of it is because we have comparatively few people in the compared to say twenty years ago of working age. You know, younger younger people. So we really do need some of these folks to do some of this stuff.
2: You're very low, Peter.
1: Can you hear me? A little louder. Is that?
2: I hear. I hear
3: him perfectly. Okay. Listen, I agree with that. We do need more workers, but we have we have legal ways for people to get visas and come here to work in every field, including agriculture, farming, construction, whatever. We can't just let three hundred thousand willy nilly every month in, and so you know, we, we, some of them will work. They do want to work. I'll give yes. you that, but some do. No, they, these think,
4: people I think,
3: I think come here are, to work. Yeah, I they work. They don't come here to mooch. They're here to work. But and and then Peter's right. They're escaping terrible stuff and Venezuela, whatever the thing is. It's bad down there. But you know what? we can't solve every problem in the world that's right we just can't do it now we can bring some people in here as we need them but my god what are we doing to the communities all around the country if we're flooding them with poor people who have no money who's going to pay for this yeah no I, So I, it's I, got to be reasoned out this thing is out of control
1: no no i agree with you i, I you know i'm not I think I think you're right. The thing is that our our immigration system is screwed up beyond repair. I think I saw a stat somewhere that said they're like two years behind dealing with court hearings. yeah, it's it's but just it's an over there aren't enough.
3: For. there aren't enough immigration judges who are not regular judges, they're appointed by the Justice Department. They're not they don't have to be confirmed by Congress and all that, but we just don't have enough of them. So if you're you know some guy coming in today illegally and you say i want asylum if you say it you get an asylum hearing and but it used to be you were either thrown back out or locked up pending your asylum hearing but we don't do that anymore so we let them go and they run around america for a year and then they never show up for their asylum hearing and they're here and who can keep track of several million illegals that are working and living and kids are going to school and before you know it, they're
1: part of the community. And and valuable parts of the community. Yeah. Some of them really are are strong family people with with good values and all that, you know. Uh, but they should be here. I mean, it, that's the paradox of this, of this thing. And
2: here in right. Massachusetts, our governor is encouraging citizens, residents, to take some of these people into their own homes.
3: Well, that's not bad. I mean, wouldn't you rather have someone take people into their home and take care of them than taking over a local hotel and putting them I, in there. I
2: I have no problem with that, but we don't know the incomes of the households that are being talked about already, number one. And number two, you're talking about total strangers.
3: Well, that's their choice, though, Bob. If Mr. and Mrs. Smith want to have a family come live with them, no one's no one's forcing them to do
1: it. I, mean, Bob, I, I Bob, you know. Bob, I, I remind you uh and I speak for myself that the Catholic the Catholic the Catholic uh religion and the Christian religion encourages people to treat uh uh immigrants uh, humanely you know it's it's all scattered throughout well, well, the world. what what does I it agree say with that. on the what does it say on the statue of Liberty that that too give us your poor. give, uh,
3: us, your time, your give yeah. us your downtrodden I mean yeah but 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 that's That's the spirit of America, and I believe in that spirit, up to a point. Yes. It doesn't say, give us your poor, give us your
1: downtrodden until we're bankrupt. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, that's fair. But I I guess my my complaint is that the immigration system is being deliberately uh, uh, sabotaged by, I think, both sides for political purposes. There's got to be a way of improving the system. So as you said these visas can be uh better uh, acquired more more quickly. You know, sometimes it takes 2 years to get these 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 uh uh you know these visas. You know, I I have a friend of mine who uh was here on a on a green card uh, trying to get a green card, we came here legally and it took years and years and expensive lawyers to to go through Oh, it's like right. 8 years. No, eight eight well, years. yeah, it, but that's crazy.
3: And they did it legally. And yes and they should be rewarded we've heard this expression a million times these illegals they now call them undocumented but they're, they're the same thing they are cutting the line yeah. on the other hand they're desperate and, and yeah. i understand it that's why there's got to be I'm you know, sorry i just i don't want them to come to our border i don't want us to have to decide this we enough is enough you know and they're going to have to go somewhere else
5: can I jump well, in for a minute, or do we need
1: to wait? What's I, that, Herbie? No, that's Jane. I think if uh, we got to. We have to wait, okay. Jane. Okay. okay. Wait. I didn't
5: know. That's fine. It's okay.
1: No. No. No worries. So, uh, wh- I want to get into another topic. Uh, I've been thinking about you for the past however long it's been. We have a, a lot of Congress folks who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, you have Joe Biden, who is who's, you know, if he's reelected, it's going to be the, you know, the oldest president of all time. You have President Trump. He already, he already is. He already is. He already, he already is. He already so is. Yeah, thank you for that. You have President Trump, uh, who's going to be, you know, and there's a lot of talk about what do you do with some of these folks who may not have all their faculties or may or may have them and are not coming across that way. How do you sort of address that, you know, gerontocracy? They're calling it these days. What What are your thoughts about that?
3: Uh, the voters are going to have to decide it. Yeah. If they want to reelect someone who's on a walker, like whatever, Diane Feinstein had just died today. It's yeah. a great record in public service who clearly stayed too long. You know, the voters have to be the ones to decide. No one else should decide. That's the way our system is. And we don't have age limits on the upper end. We only have one on the lower end, 25 for the House, 35 for President, 30 for the Senate. thats I don't think those are getting changed at the lower end. No, and there's no upper end for anything.
2: Well, there we is, do have term so limits think? for presidents. Right. I was
1: going to say that. Uh, uh, yep. Would, would there uh, be a oh, possibility oh, of that? Oh, oh, Paul, oh, oh, you, have, oh, to, oh, oh, you, you have, have to wait. Please have, wait.
2: We haven't invited our participants yet.
3: Well, we do have term limits. You're right, Bob, but that doesn't have anything to do with age. You know, so, so, uh, you know, Bill Clinton was term limited at, and out and was finished being president and he was in his early 50s. Yep. And Biden was the oldest man ever elected to be president right from the get go. he Reagan ended his presidency. I think he was 77. I think he was 69 when he got elected. Donald Trump
2: was 74, I believe, wasn't he?
3: Mm, I'll say he's 77 now. So So I guess he left office at 74.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And and Biden just turned. He's about uh, next month. He's going to be 81. 81. 81. Yeah.
1: I guess what really disturbs me on both sides is how, this age thing is being weaponized and and sort of uh trash talked you know uh you know biden is is doing some strange things here and there but i from my perspective he's you know he's, he still has his thoughts in order and it seems to be doing a you know solid job um president trump was you know was trash for other reasons you know he was viewed as mentally ill uh by people who know nothing about psychiatry. And so we're using these mental illness and age as a as, as, a, as a as a weapon. And I just find that really distasteful.
3: Yeah, well, there is, by the way, there is an ageism issue in this country. There's a bias against older people. However, politically, you got to be careful about that because the older people are living longer yep. and they vote in the highest percentage of any group in the country. Younger people vote less. Older people vote the most. So the older vote, 60 and over, say, is a very potent force. And health has kept all of us alive longer, thank God. So you vote, you know, longer into your life, obviously. And it's not to be underestimated. You know, it's not unrelated. ABC just started running, I think, last night. Uh a new bachelor series featuring a guy that's 72 years old. Really? Yeah. It's called the golden bachelor. And I think he's got like 25 possible women to choose from average age, like 67. So forget all that. The important thing is if, and we don't know yet because it aired the first time last night. If the ratings are good for this thing, it may prove to political people and advertisers and business that the market you're ignoring it and should be focusing on are people 60 and over the boomers, the older people, because, you know, advertisers say, Oh, the demo we want is 25 to 40.
2: Well, well, you look at the sports talk shows. I can name one in Boston. They cater to the, younger people you hear this all the time uh, 20 to 40 or whatever it is the advertisers
1: cater yeah. to people. same thing
3: right
2: yeah well that may
3: be a mistake i don't know i mean i that's sports i don't really know but i'm just saying if you look at the country and the uh, profile of it there are more older people as a percentage of the voting public Because they live longer, and therefore, there are more of them. And so to ignore them or trash them or trash an older politician may tick some of those voters off. I don't know. This is all uncharted territory.
2: Do you think there's a connection between what you were saying about the baby boomers and a lot of the elderly being the biggest voting market? And and incumbents remaining in office.
3: Well, (laughs) incumbents generally remain in office because once you are the incumbent, you have such an advantage with name, ID, and harnessing the power of the government to promote you. And you get in the news all the time and all that kind of thing.
1: Gerrymandering.
3: Uh, That too. Oh, that's for house people but yeah, yeah exactly, senate people right. go i mean you yeah, know it's just rarely do incumbents get defeated unless they're wave elections so it's all part of the same thing and the longer you're around, I mean, i'm i'm taken today because we've been inundated with it since early this morning diane feinstein who had an unbelievable career and got i think elected six times to the u.s senate i believe or five, or six, which is a lot. And, you know, I mean, but it got to the point where people in California, it's like every single person there, knew who she was and what she, what job she had because uh, she'd been around so long. Her name ID got to be so high. Uh, and, you know, it's an accumulated thing. If someone's in the news all the time for 30 years. <laughs> it's going to add up. And the, so there's a benefit to being around a long time, but then at some point it becomes a detriment. Let's look at her the last year? The poor woman yeah. was Gaga. Yeah, she didn't know it, and when they ever talked to her, it was painful. This was about the most accomplished political person you'd ever see until the last year or so. And but she is ninety. And when she was eighty-five, she was totally fine. It
2: just happened in the last year or two. Oh, you remember Strom Thurmond?
3: He was oh, 90-something,
2: yeah. Wasn't he close to 100? Might have been. Yeah, might have been. When he left office or died, I forgot which one came first. I don't remember. But yeah, I, don't I don't remember. remember. I'm wondering if he had all of his faculties uh, at the end. I'm not sure. I don't remember that part of it.
3: I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great movie that I haven't thought about for a while that your listeners and you guys ought to see. Do you remember this movie? Late 70s, 70s. 70... Nine. The seduction of Joe Tynan. oh yeah, starring Alan Alda as a U.S Senator. And in there, Melvin Douglas plays an el- I think I'm right. I think it's in there. I think I think I'm right. Melvin Douglas plays an elderly senator who's going gaga who in the middle of a hearing or something, just starts speaking French. Oh, <laughs> yeah, because he was out of it, you know. And I think it was in that movie. It's a great movie, but um, yeah. You watch some of these guys; they look pretty bad on TV. A lot, there are a lot of young ones who do great, but some of these older guys look pretty bad. But oh. some of them have their marbles and know a lot of stuff too. So,
1: Congressman, I want to talk about uh, sort of the whole issue of uh the world of work employment and especially the whole union thing that seems to be uh re-emerging you know we have the auto strike we had the writer strike uh there seems to be a lot of sort of a lot more anger uh, between uh, of the uh workers to their bosses and the management uh the income gap is a lot wider than it has been um what is your sort of general sense of how that all is is playing itself out
3: I happen to be, I've just written a piece for the messenger that's coming out on Monday. Uh, And the messenger is the new, uh, the Hill newspaper. This is the same as the Hill, but it's the new version of it. Same management. They left the Hill and started this new one called the messenger. And they publish every day online. And I'm doing a piece.
1: I've seen your pieces, by the way. They're terrific.
3: Well, thanks. And, and, I got a new one on Monday, because on Monday, which is October 2, Bob, I'm going to break your heart when I remind you of this, October 2, 45 years ago was October 2, 1978, and that was the day my book, my first book, called Harvard Hates America, was published, which is a huge day in my life, (laughs) to have a book published and all that. And I was doing the radio interviews and everything in New York City. And then when the afternoon came, I was finished in the city, got in my car, and I can remember I was on 96th Street heading toward the FDR Drive to come home to Long Island. And I had the radio on. When
2: Yankees beat the Red Sox.
3: Bucky bleeping Dent oh, yes. hits the ball over the wall. Yaz goes down on one knee because he knows this is bad. And an inning later, pop-up, Greg Nettles catches it to put him away. And that was one of the greatest seasons and games ever, Yankees-Red Sox. That was the day. Anyway, okay, so I'm writing a piece this uh, this Monday, October 2, on the 45th anniversary, where I bring up things that went on when I was at Harvard, college as an undergrad, and then Harvard Business School, which I went to after Harvard undergrad, One of which was uh, at the business school, this attitude that I ended up calling the big business mentality, where we're all being sort of trained at Harvard Business School, that your job is one thing and one thing only, maximize return to the shareholder at all all costs. Yes. And the greed and all this that I witnessed was, you know, shocking. Well, okay, here we are 45 years later, and you have the auto strike, auto worker strike, UAW. And in the paper, I read that Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, made 361 times The average salary at General Motors, the average salary is $80,000 a year. She made $29 million. Now, to me, that is one of the biggest problems in this country. You just mentioned it. The income disparity in this country is crazy. And yet, you go back, you come out of World War II, and we sort of remake the world, and we remake our economy and all that. That did not happen. Bosses did not make 361 times the average employee. Couldn't do it, wouldn't do it, never even thought of it. But it's gotten out of whack that what these people are getting paid and what they think about and what it means to the workers. It's just, it's insane. So, yeah, I think it's a big problem. But I think that's why you're having more strikes. The uh, writers won their strike. They won. They got almost everything they wanted, and that's good uh, in that case. And in the auto worker strike, they're going to get. They're going to end up getting a decent deal. It's going to take a while, um, but the uh, the the new mantra of the far right is to say, "What's the real problem in the auto industry? Is electric vehicles." And that Biden and the mandate to have electric vehicles, blah, 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 is is what's causing all the trouble. And I don't buy a word of it. But we got to get ahead of this thing because electric vehicles are the future for global warming and everything else. And that's where it's going to be. And
2: well, everybody's
3: my... going to have to adjust to it.
2: Well, here's my question. If the environmentalists are so worried about pollutants, what are we going to do with all this lithium from the electric car batteries?
3: Well, I don't know, but they'll figure it out. It's not going to be the same as it will not be allowed to pollute the atmosphere the way gas guzzling cars do and coal plants and all that. All that stuff's going to go in our lifetime. It's all going to go. I don't know. It might take another 15 years, but when we're going to get up one day and realize, you know something? 90% of people are buying, have to, and are happily buying electric cars. There are no real gas stations anymore. They're charging stations. They're going to make better batteries that are safer and longer charging. Uh, this is the trend. It's obvious. It's coming. And talk to anybody who has a Tesla, anybody. They'll tell you, I, everyone I've asked, best car I ever had, best car I ever had.
1: So and apparently they're they're cheaper to make, right? They don't need as many workers, which which is why the auto workers are concerned that they might lose jobs, which is a legitimate concern as far as I can tell from what yeah, we well, yeah, but hey, they'll still be if they're made
3: here, there'll be plenty of jobs and so forth. And you know the other option is have them made overseas, and then none of these people work, yeah,
1: well, that's right. Yeah.
2: You're um, listening to In Perspective. This is Bob Branco, and we have Peter Alcheler as our co-host and our guest is former New York Congressman John Laboutelier. I thought I would bring our participants on the show, many of whom may would like to ask questions of our guests. So, Herbie, I'm just wondering if we have any hands raised.
4: As a matter of fact, we do. We currently have three raised hands, guys. Please, please wait your turn to be called upon. Um, Paul, I don't know if I'm to consider your hand raised or not since you spoke earlier. So, um, let's
2: find out. Paul, did you have say? Yeah. To... Go ahead. Yeah. Uh,
4: no, my question was
5: answered during the discussion.
4: Okay. Thank All you. All right. Go. Great. All right, then. Uh, in that case, so uh, Jane T, you are up, and Bell Mills, you are on deck. Mm-hmm. All
2: right, Jane. Yes,
4: and
5: thank you, Herbie, for, um, I didn't know, because I heard the voice, the uh, that's machines say okay. unplug, but here uh, I am. Yeah. First of all, I do not like any of how Texas, where I live, is handling the border issue. I don't like, well, I don't like two primary people in charge of it, so I guess I'm not supposed to name them. Um, Why not?
3: So it's Governor uh, Abbott you don't like, right?
5: Yeah, and I do not like um, Ted Cruz. I wish he would just leave the planet. Well, strong. then
3: vote, vote next year for oh, Colin Allred, who's running against him.
5: I'll vote okay. for just about anybody, but I I really struggle with all of the things you have mentioned. I want our our um, immigration process revamped, reevaluated. Uh, it just, and I wish I could be a lawyer and and help with that. Boy, I would, because we need the rules to be enforced and followed and to matter. And yes, we need workers. Um, we have a lot of Americans who don't want to do some of the basic work that is going to make a difference. That's a nice way of saying a lot of them just don't want to do it. They're lazy, but I. You, also, by the way,
3: did you have you seen that? You know, I, I what you're saying in the um, UAW demands oh, in their yeah. contract negotiations. One of the things they're asking for, which hasn't gotten a lot of attention, they want a 32 hour work week.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's just, four
3: four day work week. That's mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Why so, do you suppose th- that is?
3: I don't know. I mean, I I, you know, know, this if there's if if they're worried about fewer jobs to make electric cars, why are you saying but you know what we want we want to work less. Yeah. Uh, I would and think the argument more. would be we'll work more to get yeah. the job. I mean, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I agree i I, I,
1: I, 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 would, the, I would I I'm would I'm gonna go
5: so you all can talk it through but I really have appreciated um, your comments I keep sitting back here going yes mm-hmm, I get that
3: <laughs> well true. stay on stay keep like, listening i I have to You've got I 20 have to. minutes to go
5: <laughs> no I gotta go though but I really appreciate it and I'll try to listen to the podcasts when they
1: show up
2: so thank you Jane Th- thank yes. you as
5: always thank
1: you. Yeah, I wanted to say I, I would be more in favor of that thing if they if they want to do a 40 hours in four days, a you know, four day work, which seems to be a trend in the business world these days. A lot of organizations are, are experimenting with that. That might be a possibility. But this idea of, you know, a 32 hour week strikes me as a bit much.
3: Well, and it also may be I mean, maybe like you say, four days, 10 hours a day. They're saying four days, eight hours a day, 32. But it also, since COVID, everything's changed about working, working in an office. This is, of course, mostly factory work. uh, And you can't really run a factory loosely. You got to have a schedule for when we're rolling the assembly line. Um, In the end, it's not going to be that that is the deal breaker. It's money that's the deal breaker. Yeah. And they're going to have to cough up more money and pay these people more. And they need to be paid more with inflation and all. And apparently, remember, in the auto disaster of 08 and 09, where they all virtually went broke without federal bailouts, a big part of that was the unions did givebacks to keep the jobs they had. And now they want that back. And frankly, they ought to get it back.
1: You know. Okay. okay so thank you for that. Who's we
3: respect? have
2: somebody else, Herbie.
4: As a matter of fact, we have several people. So, right. uh, Bell Mills, you are up, and Donna, you are on deck.
1: Bell, welcome. You can ring my.
2: Might be muted. <laughs> we'll give her a yes, few indeed. more seconds. you
4: are, Bell. I will send you the prompt to unmute. Okay. Hello. There she oh, is okay um,
5: a lot of countries have immigration restriction, and I read an article some years ago by a Japanese writer who just wished that their uh, policies um, as far as uh, immigration um, is concerned were was concerned uh, would be, were um, improved, you know, so that they could get um, immigrants in uh, Japan. So I thought that was interesting. And why do you think that President Biden opened the borders? Or, you know, really just, I mean, maybe I missed something somewhere.
3: Well, I yeah, I've heard people say that he opened the borders. I don't think he did. I think He just didn't lock people up the way Trump did. The kids in the cages, the family separation policy. He just wasn't going to do that. Now, he has made an arrangement with the Mexican government so that a lot of the asylum seekers were staying on the other side of the border and being processed over there before coming here. Now, I don't know what's happened. Maybe when Title 42 expired in the spring which was the, we, the federal government was allowed to keep people out uh, because of COVID. But the courts made that thing end, I think, in April or May, I forget. And ever since then, it's been an increase in people coming across. Um, you know, But Biden is a kind man. He's not cruel. He doesn't want people drowning, dying in the desert, and all that. And neither do any of us, I hope. I mean, they are human beings. Okay, so they're struggling to figure out an immigration situation, but they're not, you know, they're not criminals, for God's sakes. They're desperate people. But again, we can only take so many, you know, it's just we don't have the means for everything.
1: So, Congressman, I I just wanted to relate a Uh, This reminds me of a show I heard on Fresh Air on NPR about back in the when Clinton was president, they were trying to figure out a way of addressing this immigration problem. And they brought together a bunch of experts with a variety of perspectives. They came together, they developed a a, a solution uh, and uh, and Congress torpedoed it. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I wish that something similar could happen this time, but Congress would would go along with it. You know, the
3: way to do it now, the way to do it, the way to do it, if you really want to, if we really want to fix immigration, it's like we did under the Reagan administration with the democratic Congress, democratic Senate, I think we wanted to fix social security because it was running out of money. So they appointed a commission with the understanding that Congress, both parties in both bodies, house and Senate would adopt this recommendation no matter what and they wouldn't play politics with it same thing for the base closing commission Mm -hmm. in the mid 90s where we had to close military bases inside the united states we didn't need them anymore cold war was over berlin wall had come down soviet union was gone we don't need all these bases we got to get rid of them but how are we going to decide which one goes and we adopted the same thing. The base closing commission studied it and recommended that Fort blah, blah, has to go. And blah. And Congress just approved it, whether they liked it or not. That was the deal. Same thing needs to be done with immigration, which is we need to get a bipartisan commission of House guys, Senate people, put them on there and have the understanding whatever they come up with. Congress will adopt and the president will sign. And that's it. That takes the politics out of it. And that what's killing this thing is neither side wants to do it because they like to hammer the other side. Exactly. With the political cudgel. And we yeah. if you really want to fix it, it's fixable. But, you know, some people will be unhappy, but generally a good deal is everybody's only a little unhappy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Um... Uh, who, who's next?
4: All right. We've got 15 minutes and um, two people to uh, get through here. And um, so, Donna, you are up. Eric, you are on deck. All right. Hey, so, Donna. Hello.
0: So <laughs> there's a lot going on with government right now. Uh, what's crazy is it looks like bar, bar, uh, bipartisan... Has, it looks like that idea has died because they're, they're they're not doing it. but what's really sad we're getting ready to go into shutdown and our lawmakers are going to be paid and a hell of a lot of people are gonna not be paid. What is wrong with that? Everything. why? Why isn't there something in our Constitution that does not make that happen, that stops that from happening? That should never, ever happen.
3: Well, you know, it's a good point, but here's the thing. Everything is political. Everything comes back to winning and losing elections. These 27 or whatever it is, Freedom Caucus people that are driving this shutdown for this weekend, they're different than most of the people on this call tonight. And oh, yeah. Oh yeah. They they have grown up in a world where they hate the federal government. They hate it. Yep. And I don't know why. That's but another yes, they issue. want to work in it. <laughs> yeah, they want to work in it and they love that hundred and sixty six thousand a year they're getting and they don't have any other income. And so you're right, they're gonna get paid even if everyone else doesn't for a while. But I wish we could adopt a law that says if you vote for a shutdown you don't get paid during the shutdown mm-hmm. that, that that would but forget it that's not happening because they have to vote the laws in mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, well, something's
0: got to be fixed with that there there there, there there's got to be a way to fix that because i've seen this happen before i've lived through other shutdowns that i was involved with and this is crazy and then we have people who have to come and like like that um chef does he comes when the federal workers are not getting paid and he has to help Jeff Andre. Mm-hmm.
3: Jeff Andre, he's a because hero, those kind.
0: people can't afford to eat so you know there, there's got to be something that can be done to it's like the lawmakers don't live in our world they make the rules but they don't have to live them and that's just wrong.
3: Well, the thing that ought to be done and I, I'm amazed I'm saying this but next year and I think we're headed there is in the election the country needs to punish the republicans for doing this by flipping the house back to democratic control.
0: Oh yeah. Cuz this well, this
3: shutdown's coming out of the house, not out of the Senate. Yeah.
0: Well, both parties need to
3: elect new people to be running for president we, it's, well uh, that's okay the president a, thing's is, a different yeah. thing and yeah. as of today it looks like they're not as of today it no. looks like they're going to nominate biden almost yeah. definitely and trump almost definitely and we're headed for a year of those two running against each other again yeah, uh you I know people, how many people, people are not people happy are, with that but
0: how many people are going to vote you wonder
3: well i think a huge vote i think in the end Donald Trump is the greatest vote generator, both for himself and against himself. And that's what he did. He elected Joe Biden. Biden didn't get elected. Trump elected Biden. Mm -hmm. He ticked off so many voters Mm -hmm. that they streamed out to vote for Biden against Trump. Same thing's going to happen with another little juicer added in Dobbs the abortion ruling that you add that on to Trump and the amount of people are going to come out to vote against the Republicans on Trump and on abortion. And some who will remember this government shutdown and this crazy stuff that's going on. It's, it's going to win for the Democrats.
1: Congressman, I wish I was as optimistic as you are, but all the polls I'm seeing, and I realize the polls are early you know, you can't take too much, but everything, all the polls I'm seeing is that right now, it's a, it's a dead heat between President Trump. I uh, get it. Uh, mm-hmm. that, I mean, Peter, let's just look. Every special election
3: in the last year, every one of them, and state referenda, every time voters have voted, uh, both for state rep, U.S. rep, or a referenda in a state or a constitutional amendment, Wisconsin, Ohio, every one of them. Republican areas, everything they're going Democrat on every single one, and then you get to last November. All the polls said, "Oh, there's going to be a sixty vote, sixty seat red wave in the House." None of it happened. The Democrats had a great year for an off-year election uh, in the first year of a presidency. It, it's the polling is not finding the voters anymore. Yeah, they're I'm not sure. finding them
1: yeah and we and that, and that that's what makes it sort of interesting because polls are just not reliable anymore you know that right. well, I, I have are, a feeling are, are, are so, much, so much for
2: statistics
3: well, well not, but if you believe in I believe in polling and stats but here's the thing with the advent of cell phones yep. and the uh, dissolution of most people having landlines finding registered voters, is much more expensive. You have to make many more phone calls to get Joe Smith on the phone. So, here's how polling works. If you're a newspaper, you have a budget to do a poll for for November, say for your paper or for a TV station. You have to spend that money and you know you don't have that much money and you you try to do the best job you can and you want to get a sample of 400 people that answer your questions, you might have to call 5,000 people to get 400 registered voters. If you're a political campaign and you have a big budget, you do a much better job of finding and selecting voters to sample. And that's why, and they have, you know, some polls can cost 50,000 bucks, but a a media entity can't spend 50,000 to do a poll. They don't do it. They, They go much cheaper. And then the other thing they're doing, and you read it at the bottom of the polling, is they sample fewer people. So they have a much higher margin of error. If you look on TV, when they put a poll on there, look at the bottom. Anything that's over 3% margin of error, don't pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, And some of them I've been watching have a 5.9% margin of error. So that means if Bob Branco is beating John LeBouillier 40 to 30, you're beating me by 10 points, but the margin of error is 5.9, that means you might not be beating me by anything. It's 5.9 times two is basically 12. No, a- that, that swing could be 12 points.
4: Yeah. Which
3: means so you could be it- up by two. I could be up by two, or you or, could be up, not by 10, but by 22. 22. 22. Yeah. 22. yeah. So what good is that? that? That's a useless poll. And I would just put all the polling aside and not even think about it this year and or into next year. And just when the voters actually vote, we have some more special elections coming up and a couple of elections in November for governors and stuff. Let's see if this trend continues where the Democrats are winning everything.
2: We yeah. have a they're more...
3: running they're running ahead of where they normally run.
2: If they so don't we, win. So, we have we have about three or four more minutes to go. I would like to get Eric in there. Was there anybody else after Eric Herbie?
4: No, there is not.
2: Okay, Eric, it's your turn. Welcome. All to- right.
3: This, yeah. this has really been interesting. I always like it because Governor, you have a biased opinion. Uh and I love it. My concern is with all the government cutting with the disability
1: bills, what's going to happen with that? And since I only have a couple minutes, with all these legal matters
3: that Trump is facing with tampering with all these states, how do you see all that playing out with this election coming up? Okay, let me do that one first, because we're short on time. All good questions. Let me give you that. March 4th, I think it is, is his first criminal trials, the one in D.C. for election stuff, federal crimes, four felonies. He's the only defendant that trial is going to go ahead on March 4th or earlier. And it's a, a female black judge, Tanya Chupkin, who Trump has been trashing by tweet and a DC jury that is 90% Democrat. And so here, here's where I think we're headed. <laughs> I don't think Donald Trump will ever do that trial. In other words, he's still got five months till that trial comes when we get close to it he's going to be thinking this way which is I'm not going into that courtroom if I go into that courtroom and I go in there five days a week for like eight weeks and sit at the defendant's table I got to keep my mouth shut and sit there with this judge judging me I'm screwed I cannot win that trial I'm screwed so I think Donald Trump never does that trial. And what does that mean? He never does it. Well, it means either he pleads guilty and makes a deal or he flees or he tries some stunt to delay the trial. I don't know what he's going to do, but knowing how he hates strong women and especially strong women of color I don't see him going into that courtroom and putting his fate in the hands of a DC jury and then a, uh, a woman judge of color and that's March, March, March 4th. So I think we got about four months or so until something's going to happen with Trump that could change everything.
1: Yeah. And and, and Congressman, I wish we had more time to address the other issue, but the whole issue of disability there, of. and the ADA being uh, uh, narrowed, uh, there's a Supreme Court case coming up. Uh, it's worrying us for many of us in the disability community. And well, I don't blame you. I
3: don't, but I I didn't know. Is there a big push to narrow it? I I well, never there, hear there,
1: that. There, there's a court case coming up, and I'm not an expert, but it goes something like this. Um, uh, it, it, you know, ordinarily, if you're discriminated against, you you can go straight to court, right? You can say I was discriminated against. I, I want uh, restitution or whatever it is, but no, but now what they're saying is before you can go to court, you have to try to settle with the with with the uh, with with the person who caused the problem in the first place. We're uh, out of time uh, folks. legally, and uh, we we don't have time to talk about this. But you know, uh, next uh, time, next yeah. time, uh, yeah. mandating. Uh,
2: thank you uh, very much, Congressman. Once again for taking the time. We'll have you back on. I will contact you off the air and reschedule uh, another time. And I want to thank everybody else that participated today, Peter and the participants, and especially our host, Herbie. Thank you very much. Next week, we're going to be having on our program Morgan White, who's a well-known trivia man from the Boston area. He's been on WBZ. A lot of other people know him as well. That'll be next week on In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco. He's Peter Alchel. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Have a great week, everybody.